0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com.
1: Good morning. My name is Jerry Risser, and it is my privilege today to uh, share with you uh, the scripture reading for today, which comes from... Uh, the book of Psalm, chapter 66, verses 1 through 15. Uh, This is our guest and my dear friend, uh, Vasily Ostry, who's going to read the passage in Ukrainian, and I won't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Dear brothers and sisters, it's a great privilege to be here in your church and send greetings from Ukraine and especially from Kyiv Theological Seminary. I want to say thank you for your financial support. Thank you for mission groups you sent to Ukraine from different uh, projects. It's a great blessing for us. And thank you for uh, faithful uh, prayers support. And of course, my privilege uh, to read uh, the Bible in Ukrainian uh, with you. Psalm 66. Пісня псалом Уся земля покликуйте Богові виспівуйте честь його йменню честь для слави його покладіть скажіть Богу які чини твої грізні через силу велику твою твої вороги піддадуться тобі вся земля буде падати до ніг твоїх і співати тобі буде оспівувати ймення твоє Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing
1: the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you, they sing praises to your name.
2: Ідіть і погляньте на Божі діла, він грізний у ділах проти людських синів. Він змінив море річку ногою там, де ми в ньому. Він своєю Очі його між народами зорять, нехай не несуться відступники.:
1: Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. they passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him, who rules by His might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations let not the rebellious exalt themselves
2: Благословляйте народи нашого Бога і голос слави Його розголошуйте що зберіг при житті нашу душу і недавно зі наші спіткнутись бо ти Боже нас випробовував, ти нас перетопив як срібло перетоплюється ти нас до вязниці впровадив ти путо поклав нам на стегна Ти їздити дав був людині по головах наших, ми війшли до огню і до води. Але на широкі місця ти нас вивів, увійду я додому твого з цілопаленням, обійти свої тобі виплечу ті, що їх вимовили губи мої і сказали, були мої уста в тісноті. Цілопалення ситих тільців піднесу тобі з димом кадильним барянячим, приготую баків із козлами».
1: Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the tent. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: It was uh, one of those memories from my childhood that was uh, at the same time uh, both kind of endearing and sweet, and also kind of embarrassing and cringy. Uh, every time I would go to my grandmother's house, on top of her refrigerator, there was a little glass filled with blue and yellow sand that I had made for her in Cub Scouts one year, when I was about eight years old. One of those sand art things, and you know, you take the toothpicks and make little swirls, and patterns in it, and and if I recall, I think then we put like an inch of Elmer's glue on top of it and uh, stuck a few little wildflowers in it and a couple of toothpicks with a piece of lined paper that said, I love you. And that sat on the top of my grandmother's refrigerator for years. Uh, Even after she moved into a care center, she made sure that that went with her. It was not a great work of art. But it was an eight-year-old's attempt to express uh, appreciation and uh, love and thankfulness for my grandmother. And yet as I got older, I would go and see it there and just sort of hang my head and think, oh, Jam, why are you keeping that? That is not attractive. (laughs) But she loved it because, again, it was my attempt to tell her that I loved her. Now, it may have also had something to do with the fact that she was a really gracious and patient person because I was not that great at gift-giving. Uh, that is not one of my gifts. I remember uh, another year for Christmas, I gave her, um, I think it was, a, it was like a little plastic mouse about a foot tall uh, with a winter scarf and a Santa hat, and he's holding a book of Christmas carols. Who wants that? Only a grandmother would be glad to receive something like that from her grandson. I just feel like, you know, in telling these stories, you all have heard me say how for years we got all these white elephant quality gifts from my mom, and I'm now realizing I perhaps inherited more from her than I want to acknowledge. Gift giving is not one of my strengths. Uh, I think it's the tension of wanting to find the right gift and the right words on the card that will express uh, all that this person means to me. And then not doing it very well uh, because it just doesn't come naturally. And frankly, too often I leave it to the last minute. I don't think ahead. I don't put as much effort and time into it as I ought to. So I will sometimes find myself running to target as my savior. Uh, to find the right card and the right gift that will hit the sweet spot of, boy, this is really meaningful, something my wife Amelia would really like, Uh, it will impress her and it won't cost too much. I don't manage to land that very often. That's part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, for me at least. I, I want to give something that's meaningful, that reflects what my wife means to me, if it doesn't cost too much and it doesn't take too much effort. That's the sad reality, right? Because a a gift is ultimately about an expression of someone's worth, someone's value. You're putting in tangible form something that says, here's what I think of you. Here's how I thought about you. And we do that all the time, right? I mean, we, even as a people, we make statues and memorials and parks and plaques to commemorate important people or significant events or movements like the Washington Monument or uh, the MLK Memorial or the Soldiers and Sailors Monument downtown that was honoring Civil War veterans. Right? We, we give gifts to people that matter to us on birthdays and anniversaries and Mother's Day and Father's Day and there's just this drive inside of us to express appreciation and a recognition of someone's value, their place in our lives, how good they have been to us and how much they mean to us. There's something in us that wants to pay tribute, that wants to honor. That's what worship is, ultimately. That's what we're doing when we gather here. That's the point of this series that we've been going through on transformation, looking at what we do when we gather as God's people to worship, how we choose to do what we do and then how that shapes us in turn. And we've seen, for example, last week when Pastor Joy did a great job talking about prayer, how prayer is sort of reorienting us to remind us who we are and where we're going. It's it's putting us in the context of relationship and, and God's goals. And next week we're going to be looking at the Word of God and, and how the Word of God helps us know what we know and how we know what we know. And today we're looking at giving, at offerings, as an expression as we gather together of a different kind of economics. It's kingdom economics that's in contrast to the world that we live in that is often about hoarding and consuming and putting our trust and our hope and our security in what we can have and finding our identity in material things. So we come to this passage out of our own context of that kind of, you know, materialism and giving something to get something. And there's talk about sacrifices and fulfilling my vows can sound like maybe that's what this psalmist is doing You know, he's sort of buying God off you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours I give you an offering and you bless me or you forgive me or something now that was the understanding in the ancient Near East and the peoples around Israel but that's not what's going on here even though maybe we could read it that way I mean, these offerings that are mentioned here were commanded by God, but they were commanded not to get something from him, but in response to what God has already done. That's the whole point of this, right? Look at how the psalmist expresses it in in verse 13. Burnt offerings and vows fulfilled and fattened animals and rams and bulls and goats but look at what comes before it. Shout for joy to God, sing the glory of his name. Say how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worships you. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his deeds are. You see, the psalmist is saying, I've seen and understood who God is, and that's what prompts me to give. I'm giving in response to what I know of God. Not to Leverage something from God or get something from Him. These sacrifices are designed not to give something back to the people, but it's the people's response to God's goodness, and and that's why this is relevant for us because that's what we're trying to reflect when we come together in worship to give back to God as well. This guy is not doing this out of a sense of obligation. Clearly, he's not doing it out of duty. He's doing it, as we're going to see, out of joy and gratitude. That's the point. He's coming together to say not just, hey, let me tell you how great God is, but I want to show you with what I bring before him what he is worth. Because it's one thing to say, oh, you know, God's awesome and he's been so good to me. But this model of, that the psalmist is giving us is saying, no, I'm, I want to put words into action. It, it, something actually happens here. I'm, I'm not just going to tell you about how good God is. I, I want to demonstrate it in how I give back to him and why. That's what we want to talk about today, that, that giving is about wanting other people to see Our response to God's greatness, God's goodness, God's graciousness to us. Our offerings, our giving, are a response to what God does. So let's dig into this today. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 66. If you have one of those uh, black Bibles in the seat underneath in front of you, it's on page 568. You can pull it up uh, on your Faith Church app, and uh, the text is already loaded there for you. Offering, giving, is a response to God. And first of all, we see it as a response to his greatness. As we are aware of God's greatness, it prompts a response of joyful giving and gratitude to him. Shout for joy all the earth, the psalmist says in verse 1. Sing the glory of his name. Say how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that even people who would oppose you don't, can't even stand up to you. All the earth worships you and sings praise to you. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his deeds to the children of man. Do do you get the sense of what the psalmist is getting at here? I have seen God is high and lifted up and other. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of generosity. He is glorious. I see his power. It all belongs to him. And that's one of the most important things that giving does for us as we gather together. It breaks the power that money can have to sometimes try and do those things that only God can do and offer the things that only God offers. Think about it. Money promises power, significance, recognition, security, identity. Those are all the things that we find in God. And what giving does is it's demonstrating I am not looking to money or to what I have or what I've earned for identity, significance, security, hope, purpose, or power. Giving breaks that. It's an attack on the dynamics of materialism and jealousy and envy. Because we're saying God, not money, is our God. God is our ultimate value. God is the one that is worthy of worship, and God is the one that we will trust. It's one of the ways that as we come together as a community, we are declaring what God is worth. He's worthy of our sacrifice. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. It's also a reminder that we are not owners, we are managers of what God has given to us. We're stewards. It's not our things. It's God's resources. We're like a fund manager in an investment house. And the account belongs to God and we're investing it for him. And when that's your perspective, we don't get to do whatever we want with the money. We have to be faithful managers to invest it according to the owner. And that is really, really hard for us as Americans to believe because our culture just primes us to say, no, it's mine, I earned it, I did this. I worked hard, I studied, it was my savvy, it was my connections, it was all the hours that I put in. Okay, who gave you the life to earn that wealth? I mean, how many of you recognize that it's a lot easier to earn money when you're alive? Right? That's a huge benefit to your career plans. Did any of us give birth to ourselves? Decide when we were going to be born, what gifts or talents we would have, what resources, opportunities, or social connections we would have? All of that is from God. Yes, you, you did it with the gifts that God provided with the resources that God provided. Yeah, I, I worked hard. Yes, that's right, with the energy and the ability that God provided. And then when we're not able to work hard, we can become frustrated. Why am I sick? Why am I tired? Why doesn't my body work the way it ought to or it used to? See, that in itself is an, is an interesting kind of perspective, right? Because for some reason we have this expectation that everything ought to work. But we know we live in a world where everything is falling apart and heading towards entropy, death, and chaos. So why do we think that God owes us something in that way? I mean, we have many people here involved in the medical profession, and you all are aware of the many, many, many ways that our bodies can go wrong. I mean the, the amazing thing is not that you know I'm laid up and I'm sick and I you know I can't do what I want to do. The amazing thing is that I'm able to get out of bed and do anything at all. The amazing thing is that God has held my body together for as long as he has, especially with the junk food that I put into it sometimes. Think about your your talents. Where did you get those? Your circumstances. I mean, yeah, you've worked hard, but What if you'd been born to a single mom in Manila in the Philippines and your life was picking trash out of a gigantic mile-long garbage pile? You can work hard every single day and not get very far doing that. You think your circumstances had anything to do with what you have? Who gave you that? Every single day that you're alive is a gift from God your networks, your relationships, people who care for you, people who've encouraged you, opportunities. It's it's all from God. And in the Old Testament, the people in recognition of that were commanded to give 10% a tithe of what they had, their income and their flocks and their property, the produce from the ground, to support the work of the tabernacle and the ministers and to provide for the poor. And that was a recognition that it all belonged to God, and they were sort of redeeming what it, all that it belonged with this first 10%. 10% right off the top. Now, maybe that sounds like a lot to just say my income is cut 10% off the bat. But let me ask you, if you had a billionaire come to you and say, you know what, I'd like you to manage my investments for me, and... Um, you can keep 90% of the returns that you generate. I just want 10% of the returns. Does that sound like a pretty good deal? I I don't know anyone that has a deal that good. That's what God is saying. It all belongs to me. Just give me the the 10% off the top. And I know, we'll say, yeah, sure, but that's the Old Testament. Okay, fine. Yes, it is. And, And I'm not saying that's a rule or a standard for us, but Let me ask you, who has more rights, privileges, blessings, opportunities, expectations, Old Testament believers or New Testament believers? I mean, Moses says, do not murder, and Jesus says, I tell you, anyone that looks at his brother with anger in his heart has already killed him. We have more grace, more knowledge, more empowerment of the Holy Spirit, more blessings, do we expect that God wants less from us than he did his Old Testament people? Again, this is not to say here's the rule and it's the standard and you have to follow it, but giving is about taking the focus off of us. And, and the reason we're spending more time here is because I think this is the challenge for us. It's a challenge of our culture to put the focus where it belongs, on God, on his glory, because that's what Money tells us to do. It's about you. It's about your glory. It's about your pleasure. It's about your goals and your life. And giving to God is saying, no, it's his. It's about his glory, his goals, his fame, not mine. One of the reasons that... um, I'm thankful for the way we do things here at Faith is that uh, none of us uh, in the staff or the leadership or anyone anything know who gives what. Well, I, people in the financial office know that's probably important. Uh, but none of us, I don't know what anyone gives. Joey doesn't know anything. None of the elders, none of the leaders, nobody knows what anyone gives here. And I think that's important because money has this way of twisting things, right? And and if I happen to know that so and so gives. 10 times more than this other person, well, then I'm gonna pay more attention to that person. I'm gonna make sure I have their favor, make, make sure I've got them on my side. Because that's what money does. And, and so that's even a protection for us to not put the focus on ourselves. We want God to get the glory. Uh, you know, I, many of you know that my wife Amelia and I were blessed to be sent by Faith Church to go visit the Satolas in Italy back in November and spend about a week uh, just caring for them, encouraging them, helping them, driving their kids around, washing dishes, praying with them, counseling them, uh, seeing their ministry environment. And um, we were able to do that because of the faithful giving of, I don't know how many people here at Faith Church that just said, We give it to the missions fund, and however it needs to be used, use it to be a blessing to other people. And that's what ended up happening. I mean, we're over in Italy, and even some of their uh, missionary colleagues serving for other churches or agencies would say like, wow, your your church sends people over here just to care for you? That's amazing, like, yeah. But it's, yeah, the church is great, but ultimately, God's the one who's awesome. God's the one who is so good to move in people's hearts to give generously so that we can do things like this. Where do God's priorities and God's glory fall in your budget, in your financial plans? That's just a good question for us to keep wrestling with. How do our financial decisions reflect the recognition that I am not an owner of anything? I'm just a manager. It really doesn't belong to me. doesn't mean we can't have nice things. It doesn't mean we can't eat decent food because God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But how does the recognition that it all belongs to God shape whether I buy that thing or not buy that thing or give to this ministry or invest in that or spend it here or give it there. Because you are stewards of money that is not yours that has been placed in your hands to bring glory to God and to bless others. We give, we give as a recognition of God's greatness. And then we give in response to seeing God's goodness. Look at how the psalmist goes on in verse nine. He kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. He's, he's saved us from death. He's protected us. You, O oh God, have tested us. you tried us as silver. You brought us into a net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you have brought us out to a place of abundance. The psalmist here is saying, I'm giving all these sacrifices and the, and the offerings and everything that are mentioned here are a response to seeing God's provision, God's blessing, this overflowing abundance of what he talks about providing is a reflection of the abundance that God has poured into his life. Even through the hardship and the difficulty. Maybe this is and. Reflection of the trials of God's people wandering through the wilderness or or the opposition they faced coming into the promised land under Joshua. We, We don't know, but something has gone on here, very serious and difficult, and yet the psalmist is able to say, but I know God is good in all of it. And I'm giving in response to having seen his goodness because he's the one who carried us through. And brought us to a good place. And there's this rich, abundant offering that comes in response to that. Because the Old Testament believers were not just asked to to give, but to give the best of what they had. The farmers were supposed to give the best first 10%, the first fruits of the crop. The the herdsmen and the shepherds were supposed to give the, the best lambs, the best cattle, the the best goats that they could offer, not the leftovers that they didn't want. Because, you know, giving sick or diseased animals was a way of saying, ah, that's all God's worth. He can have the stuff I don't want. Paul Harvey, many of you may uh, remember, was a pretty well-known radio commentator in the 60s, 70s, 80s. He had a talk show and... uh, we talk about news and, uh, you know, tell interesting stories way, you know, long before the Internet, before we could go online and surf for all this stuff on our own. We needed Paul Harvey to tell us what things were happening. So he shared this story one time of a true story, a woman who called into the uh, Butterball Turkey Hotline. That just sounds so American, doesn't it? We have an 800 number that you can call into when you have questions about how to cook your uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey. So this woman calls in and says, I've got a turkey that's been in my freezer for 23 years. (laughs) Is it still safe to cook? And the representative says, well, if the freezer's been below zero for the whole time, I mean, it's probably still safe to eat. But after 23 years, there's not probably going to be any flavor left. And the woman says, yeah, that's what I thought. We'll just give it to church. You see, do you see how 180 degree opposite that is from what the psalmist is saying here? I want to give God the best. I I want him to get the best of what he's put into my hands, not the leftovers, not the scraps. Man, there are way more times than I like to acknowledge that I've delivered sermons that I didn't put my best effort into, I didn't give enough time to. And sometimes just from the press of events, but sometimes... I just found other things that I'd rather do. And all of us have probably done that in various ways. We've given or served out of whatever's left that we didn't really want. I can, I'll squeeze that in if I've got an extra 10 minutes. And, no, see, the, the psalmist is saying, don't bring in the leftovers. Don't bring in the scraps. Bring in fatted animals, rams, bulls, goats. I want to give you the best, God. Because sometimes we can even let people know how much they should appreciate we're doing for them, right? Like, yeah, I'll help you and it'll be a really big inconvenience and boy, you're lucky to have me. I mean, we don't really say that, but we kind of say that, right? I'm not really giving you my best because you're not worth it. I've got something else I'd rather be doing, but I'll... Help you if I have to. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost anything. It's the very definition of a sacrifice, right? That's why you, in the Old Testament, you didn't offer the leftover, diseased, crippled animals that you didn't want. God deserves the best because he's been lavishly good to us. A sacrifice is the gift of the best. There's a a passage in Hebrews 13 that I I think brings us together really well that, that points us ultimately to Jesus as the one who fulfills this and then what we do as a result. Through Christ, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Hey, it sounds great. My sacrifice is praising God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do good. Give of yourself. Give your best. Love as you have been loved. Give as Jesus gave, because he did not hold back. Jesus was not tight-fisted. Jesus did not, you know, sigh resignedly and with frustration about the crowds, you know, asking for bread. Oh, fine, if I have to multiply the loaves and fishes again. You people don't really deserve this, you know. No, Jesus gives good, and he gives good all the way to the end. He pours out his life. So we give the best that we have to offer back to God because that's what God has done for us, and we're called to emulate our Savior. We give our best back to God to bless others because that's what he's done to us. So how does the goodness of God show up in your giving? That we would serve and volunteer with excellence. That we would give our best, that, that we would you know, not be like my brothers and I were. There's you know, one candy bar and one brother cuts it and then the other one gets to choose which parts to take, right? Because it's each man for himself because my brothers wouldn't have known what to do if I just said, no, you guys take it. I'd rather you have it so that you can experience the good. No, I want the Snickers bar, right? But God is turning all that upside down. And he's not saying don't enjoy the Snickers bar, but he's saying, are you looking out for others as much as you look out for yourself and being as generous as God has been to you? We give our best and our first because God is a generous, richly, abundantly, lavishly good giver to us. How does that show up in your giving? Because when we see the goodness of God to us, we want to share that with others. And then giving, finally, is a response to God's graciousness. his his grace, his undeserved saving, rescuing of us. Look back at verse 6 and 7. He turned the sea into dry land. Well, when did God do that? (coughs) Only one time, I think, that we know of, Jordan crossing maybe, but the Red Sea is what he's talking about. This is the Exodus, right? Right? They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. He keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Don't be proud and think that you're above God's grace. It's interesting here if you notice that we don't know if the psalmist was in the Exodus generation, if he actually crossed the, the Jordan or the Red Sea, because he talks about they passed through the river on foot, But then he says, there did we rejoice in him. So it's almost like there's this connection that he sees spiritually to these people and God's acts in history that have gone on before. Maybe he wasn't physically there, but he's saying, by faith, I'm part of that community, and we're all part of that community together. And we need to remind ourselves of how good and faithful and gracious God has been to us. To take us from slavery to freedom? To, to set us free? To, to take us from hopelessness to confidence and from anxiety to peace? To take us from death to life? What in the world could we do to deserve that? There's, there's nothing that we offer or give or provide for God that, that says we deserve it. And, and then of course, this is pointing forward, this echo of the exodus to Jesus and the greater exodus that he brings for his people, right? Jesus goes all the way through the, the the river, the raging waters of God's wrath to quell them permanently to undeserving people like us. Jesus is the one who has fulfilled all of this in himself. and And he takes that, tithe from the Old Testament and and now he expands it. Because now it's not just 10% that belongs to God, it's all of us. I mean, we've been redeemed from death to life so that we belong to God completely. Our minds, our wills, our emotions, our property, our relationships, our careers, it all belongs to God. Not not just the 10% off the top, It's all his, and now our lives are offerings back to God. We are living sacrifices, Paul says in Romans 12. We're presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices in view of his graciousness because we've brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of it. It's it's all grace. It's all undeserved. And that's why in our worship service, as God's people, we we hear this invitation of God to come and worship him and acknowledge his greatness and his goodness and his glory. We hear the gospel reminder of how he has redeemed us, how we belong to him. We confess that we're broken and sinful and we fall so far short of what we ought to be. But then we hear his words of assurance and the reminder, the gracious reminder to undeserving people that God loves us, and in response to that, we give back to God as unworthy, undeserving people who are yet loved and called worthy and made sons and daughters. God loves you so much that he went so far as to take on our human flesh, to live and die in our place and to rise in our place to give us life and to rescue us. We love because God first loved us and now our giving is a reflection of that undeserved grace to make a tangible difference in people's lives who don't deserve it because that's us. A few weeks ago, uh, One of our elders, Nathan Roth, invited me to come down to a medical clinic where he works and uh, have lunch with him and chat. And uh, So I pick him up, and we head around the corner to a little gas station convenience store, McDonald's, you know, one of those combo units. And uh, as we're heading in, there are a couple of guys standing outside the door asking if we have any spare change. And uh, I'm about ready to just walk past and go in. And Nathan stops and says, no, you know, I don't have any change, but... Are you hungry? Can I buy you something to eat? And the guy goes, Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. And then his friend looks at me and goes, How about you? You got any food for me? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, apparently. Uh, and it was a beautiful reminder that. I, an unworthy and undeserving person, could be a channel of God's grace to another unworthy, undeserving. They weren't unworthy and undeserving because they were poor and were hanging out looking for a handout. That's just the human condition of all of us. I was just as unworthy and undeserving of having lunch at McDonald's as those guys. It was just that God put the resources in my hand and an opportunity to talk to them about why we would buy them lunch when they hadn't done anything to earn it or deserve it because they didn't need to because that's the way our God is. So where does generosity to, quote, undeserving people show up in your giving? Because, man, I, I find it so much easier to give to, quote, deserving people. But that's not the way God is. He gives to undeserving people. Does my giving reflect the radical grace of God to undeserving people like me? That's why I love how faithfully and generously so many people give to our Benevolence Fund here at church, for example, which is done anonymously and then distributed anonymously to people in need to help with paying bills or providing food or counseling for people in our church, for people in our neighborhood. I mean, that's an expression of the grace of God. Nobody gets credit for it except God. And it's given to all who need it. Am I giving to people who can give me nothing in return? Because really, God doesn't need us, right? I mean, he uses us, but he doesn't literally need us. Does my giving reflect God's generosity to people who can give nothing in return? You know, my uh, grandmother, uh, and and now my wife, uh, continues to be uh, very gracious with me in my uh, sometimes very poor attempts at gift giving uh, in ways that don't always reflect what I want to be true about how I esteem people that I care about. It's one thing to say, you know, I care about you, I value you, it's another thing to say like, hey, let's actually get together and have lunch. I will actually send you a birthday card. I will actually put time and thought into a gift for you that would reflect something you'd actually be interested in. I will actually help you move that furniture or paint that room or help provide money for that bill that you can't pay. That's what love does. That's what God has done for us to enable us to do for others. I have a friend, a ministry colleague, uh, who did a master's in bioethics up at uh, Trinity and works uh, in a ministry trying to defend vulnerable women and children. And it's hard, hard, difficult ministry with very high stakes. And uh, she was on Facebook recently and posted something that just, man, grabbed my attention and was kind of a gut punch and maybe a bit of a wake-up call. She said, you know what? I'm tired of people liking and sharing my posts without actually donating anything to help make this ministry happen. I'm still processing through that because I don't know if that's the wisest thing to do, but I get where she's coming from. Don't tell me you care about this ministry if you don't have any skin in the game. Likes and shares aren't going to help me rescue vulnerable women and children, was basically what she was saying. Now, that may be a little blunt. Maybe that's not as gracious as it could have been. But I I think there's an element of truth there that I think maybe is reflected in what we've been looking at today. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's You know, not necessarily, if I can put it in simplistic terms, not looking for likes and shares. He's looking for followers, literal followers. People not just, you know, like social media followers, but actual followers. People who will do what he says, trust him, follow him, walk in his ways, love him, serve him, let him work through us. That love and acceptance that my... Uh, grandmother showed and Amelia continues to show me is such a blessing because I don't always get it right and it's a wonderful reflection of God's grace to me because I know I don't always get it right and I get my priorities messed up but I also want to not keep having my priorities messed up if I really love her, if I really love God. If I really love him, I'm going to ask him to help change me and to help me grow to reflect more of what matters to him and what I spend my life on and what I prioritize. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive wisdom and power and wealth and honor and blessing and glory forever. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive worship and glory and praise, not just in word, but in our lives and in what you've entrusted to us. Father, we acknowledge that yes, we have earned and we have worked through the circumstances, the talents, the opportunities that have all come from you. Lord, help me to see my time, my money, my connections, my job, my relationships. My life is given to me by you for the good of those around me. Help me not to believe the lie of our culture that, that I'm poor, I need more, I don't have enough, I don't owe anyone anything. Father, it's all yours. May we be yours. May I be yours. And may I give out of my life to reflect that because you are worthy thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.